Please turn in your Bibles to our scripture reading this morning, which is found in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 35. Luke 2, 25 to 35. And then our sermon passage is 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 to 15. 2 Samuel 12, 1 to 15. But first, our scripture reading, Luke 2, 25 to 35. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. Listen to it, for it is your Lord speaking to you. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now, let you, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles, And for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now turning to 2 Samuel chapter 12, we'll read... From the beginning of the chapter through verse 15. And the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold. Because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son, for you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. 
And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. This ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we have two passages that we've heard. We've heard you speak from two different points in redemptive history. One, a passage of great joy. And yet, dear Lord, there is that element of foretold sorrow that Mary would know because of the suffering that her son would endure. The other passage, O Lord, a passage that is shot through with sorrow and suffering and pain. And yet, dear Lord, it has that one glorious ray of hope. Those words, you shall not die, your sin has been put away. Lord, we read our passage from 2 Samuel. It's very easy to put ourselves in David's place. As is rightly so. But we pray, dear Lord, that you would help us not to be overwhelmed by our own sin. Sins that, while are not as egregious, not as terrible in the sight of the law, sins that are due the penalty of death because there's sins against you, there's sins against our neighbor. But we pray that you would help us to see the hope and the consolation of Israel, the consolation of David, and that you would bless us now as your word is preached. Please give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see. Bless the one who preaches and bless those who hear your preached word. We pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. Now I am pretty sure that at the end of chapter 11, David thought that he had gotten away with it. How many of you have kind of felt that way? You've been speeding down the highway... You pass a police officer, and for whatever reason, he doesn't engage in pursuit after you, and you breathe a sigh of relief, and you go on, and you get to the next town, or perhaps the next county, or maybe cross the state lines, and you know you're home free. And David was there. He thought he pulled it off. Uriah the Hittite was dead. His wife Bathsheba had now become David's wife, all of those loose ends had been tied up. And David could now move on with his life, putting these terrible things behind him, remembering them no more. Now the birth of their son might arouse a little bit of suspicion. People start doing the math. They start to wonder, wait a minute now, what's going on? But David was the king. What could anyone do about it if they began to question the dates? He was the embodiment of the law in Israel. There was no one higher than him. He was all three branches of the government rolled into one. 
And so who was there in Israel to charge him with a crime? And yet we readers know something that David did not know at this point in his life. We know, because we read last week's passage, we know that God saw everything that David had done and he considered it evil in his sight. And even if you had never read this passage before this morning, you read last week's passage, you know that something is coming. All is not well in Israel. God placed the blame for all of David's sins in chapter 11 squarely on David's shoulders. And the penalty that David deserved for the sins that he committed was death. And God, the author of the law, was about to punish David for those sins. Now, just as there are civil consequences for crimes, there are spiritual consequences for sins. And David had committed both crimes and sins. And the sentence that he deserved for both was the death penalty. But the Lord had other plans, plans that would show David and us the principle of someone else taking the place for our offenses. Now, this passage is a difficult one. As so many passages in 1 and 2 Samuel have been so far. But it may be particularly difficult in a, in a very painful way for those who have lost children. Especially those who have lost babies, whether unborn or newly born. The temptation for parents who have lost children may be to believe that you've done something that caused their death. Or that you're being punished for something that you did and it's being passed on. Your child's being punished for you. But this, what we read about David, about Bathsheba, about their son, this is a specific instance that we should be very careful not to overgeneralize, applying it to ourselves. God made it very clear to David through Nathan that, that his son would die as a direct consequence for David's sin. David had special revelation telling him, making the connections between his transgressions of the law and the death of his son. And so those parents, you parents who are out there who've suffered loss, the loss of a child, don't take this passage and apply it to yourselves and come to the conclusion that you have done something wrong for which God punished your child. And bear this in mind. Remember that God, he made it very clear to David through Nathan that his son would die as a direct consequence for his sins. And God did this knowing that his own son would die as a direct consequence for our sins. And that leads us to this thought that I want you to remember this morning as we work our way through the sermon Unto us is born a Savior in the city of David, of the house and the lineage of David, who is Christ the Lord, who died for our sins. Let me say that again. Unto us is born a Savior in the city of David, of the house and the lineage of David, who is Christ the Lord, who died for our sins. The sermon has three parts to it. The first part, a lamb like a daughter. 
The second, sin and its consequences. And the third, true sadness. Again, a lamb like a daughter, that's the first part of the sermon. The second, sin and its consequences. And the third, true sadness. So let's look at the first part of the sermon this morning. A lamb like a daughter. Yahweh was displeased with David because the thing that David had done was evil in his sight. So he sent Nathan, the prophet, to David. Now we haven't heard much out of Nathan. We've heard very little from him at all, but we haven't heard anything from him since chapter chapter 7 when David expressed his desire to build a permanent structure for the ark of the Lord in Jerusalem. And Nathan, you remember, he, he initially gave his blessing to David's project. He said, go do all that is in your heart for Yahweh is with you. But then Yahweh later on says, no, no, Nathan, you weren't speaking for me there. The word of the Lord came to Nathan later on that very evening. And, he, and the Lord told, uh, told Nathan to tell David that he was not going to build a house for God, but that God would build a house, a dynasty for David. Now, God was going to place a son of David on the throne of, David, of God's kingdom forever. But since that time, nothing is recorded of David's activity. He's been living in obscurity for some time now. Until our passage. And verse 1 says that the Lord sent Nathan to David just as David had sent his men to Bathsheba to take her. And now Nathan is going to take David by surprise. And Nathan begins to tell a story. To David in verse 1, which runs through verse 4. And David doesn't realize that this is a parable. He doesn't realize that this is, is just a story that's intended to bring David to a point of repentance for his sins. Nathan tells David that there were two men in the city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had a great deal of livestock, but the poor man had only one little ewe lamb, which he had bought with his very own money. Now, this meant that while the wealthy man had flocks that would grow as new livestock were born to existing livestock, they would grow in a sense exponentially, this man, the poor man, was just starting out. He would have to breed his lamb when she was full grown, but it would take him many years to build up any kind of a flock. And in the meantime, she would provide wool and milk for this man. In verse 3, Nathan tells David that the poor man had brought up the lamb. It grew up with the man and with his children. It ate of his food. It drank from his cup. It was like a daughter to him. It was like a member of the family. Now, most of you probably know that a bar mitzvah is a Jewish celebration that's held when, when a son comes of age, the age of 12. And you might know that bar means son in Hebrew. So, for instance, Simon bar Jonah means Simon, son of Jonah. Similarly, a bat mitzvah is a celebration held when a daughter comes of age. Bat, or, or bath, or as we say it, bath, it means daughter. And so Bathsheba means literally daughter of Sheba. It might literally mean daughter of the oath, or daughter of seven, or daughter of the Sabbath. If David didn't know that this was a parable related to his sin with Bathsheba, this was a major clue. This was an opportunity for David to realize, whoa, wait a minute. He's talking about me. But David sees no such clue. In verse 4, Nathan tells David that the rich man had a visitor come and stay with him. And instead of taking one of his own sheep, one of the many multitudes of sheep that the rich man had to serve it for a feast, the rich man took he stole the poor man's ewe lamb and slaughtered it for the feast with his guest. 
Now, the injustice of what Nathan has just told David is palpable. David is angry. This man was, this lamb was the man's future. He certainly had no intention of slaughtering her. She was going to help him build up a flock. She was going to help provide a livelihood for him and his family. But even more than that, she was a member of his family. Though it had been many years since David had been out watching his flocks by night, he was still a shepherd at heart. He instantly empathized with the poor man, even though he was now very rich. And in verses 5 and 6 we read, And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As Yahweh lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. David understands that though the punishment for the type of crime the rich man had committed wasn't the death penalty, the loss of this little lamb may very well mean death for the man and his family. He could easily, so easily see himself in the poor man's position that he didn't realize that he had become the rich man of the parable that Nathan had just told him. Don't worry though, Nathan lets him know. You are the man, Nathan tells David in verse 7. And by pronouncing a penalty of death upon the rich man, David has actually pronounced a penalty of death upon himself. And he continues, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. I would double it. David's conscience had become so seared at this point that he'd virtually forgotten about his sins against Bathsheba and Uriah which couldn't have taken place more than about nine months prior because the baby at this time had not yet been born. David had moved on, but God swiftly brought him back to the reality of his sins. And that brings us to the second part of the sermon, sin and its consequences. After David telling, after, after Nathan telling David that even though he had given David everything that a man could desire, if David had merely asked, God would give him more he asks David in verse 9, Why have you despised the word of Yahweh to do what is evil in his sight? Why have you hated my word? And then he lets David in on the fact that he knows exactly what David has done. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. David might have thought that he kept his sins hidden, but not from the Lord. But as is always the case, there are consequences for sins. And the Lord, speaking through Nathan, tells David what the consequences are for his actions. In verse 10, he says, Now therefore the sword shall not depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Now God is not going to break his promise to David to make a dynasty out of his house, but his family will be plagued with bloodshed from within and from without. Even though David will repent. Even though David will repent sincerely, still the consequences of his sin remain. And this is something that we need to remember. Repentance, sorrow for sin, it doesn't bring an end necessarily to the immediate consequences for our sins. Just because someone gets up and repents sincerely doesn't mean that no discipline should come their way as a result of the sins that they have committed. And the consequences that Nathan pronounces are dire. 
And they're played out on the remaining pages of 2 Samuel, most immediately in the death of David's and Bathsheba's son. But within his wider family and within the kingdom, as well as as soon as chapter 13. I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of, his, of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And this is exactly what happens. David's sins against Bathsheba and Uriah, as well as the other soldiers who were needlessly killed because of David's murderous plans, set in motion a series of consequences that would last the rest of David's life and far, far beyond. All the way down to the ending of Israel. These consequences, they show us how seriously God takes sin. (coughs) These consequences for David's transgressions, they show us that all sin is an abomination to God. It's heinous in his sight. Every sin is equally deserving of God's infinite wrath. Now this may seem strange to us. It might seem a little unfair until we stop to consider God's holiness. Because God is infinitely holy, perfectly pure, infallibly righteous, totally just. Because of this, our sins, even the so-called least sin that we commit, these sins are an act of treason against the creator of all things. Because of what David has done, it would be unjust for there to be no consequences for his sins. And consequences don't simply go away because a person is sorry for their crimes or repentant for their sins. And we need to say this, we stop for a moment and point this out, that the ultimate consequence is taken away for the person who repents. That being suffering God's wrath for eternity in hell. But many, many times temporal consequences, the consequences in this life remain. When a person commits murder, even if he confesses and expresses his regret for that crime... Even if he repents and believes in Jesus Christ, that person will still sit under judgment for his crime. No penalty or a light penalty for murder shows a disregard for life. But David is the king of Israel. There is no human in Israel higher up in the hierarchy than David. No human who sits in judgment over him. Only the Lord can sit in judgment over David and also impose consequences upon him. And in doing so, God shows that he is just. And that leads us to the third and the final part of our sermon, true sadness. In verse 13, David says, I have sinned against Yahweh. And Nathan responds, Yahweh also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because, of, because by this deed you have utterly scorned Yahweh, the child who is born to you shall die. When David says this, I've sinned against Yahweh, it reminds us of what we read last week in the responsive reading from Psalm 51. Against you and you alone, O Lord, have I sinned. This doesn't mean that David didn't sin against Bathsheba. It doesn't mean that he didn't sin against Uriah, that he didn't sin against those men who went forward and were killed along with Uriah in the battle. It doesn't mean that. But it's an acknowledgement that our sin, first and foremost, primarily is a sin against the Lord himself. He's the one who defines what sin is. He's the one who is perfectly holy and righteous in every way. In verse 15, we read that Nathan departed for his house and that Yahweh afflicted the child and he, this child became sick. David deserved 
the death penalty for his crimes. He even unwittingly pronounced that penalty upon himself after hearing Nathan's parable at the beginning of our chapter. He knows what he deserves. But the Lord says he's going to put away David's sin. The blood of Uriah and the other soldiers who were killed cry out to God demanding justice. But God is going to provide a substitute for David. God provides someone who would die in David's place so that David would not have to die for his sins. David would not have to die, but he would have to live for the rest of his life with the knowledge that his sins had brought about his own son's death. And like Mary after her, Bathsheba would have to experience her heart being pierced as if by a sword because of the death of her son. Bathsheba would have to live with the man who, because of his heinous sins, had brought about the death of her son. Now, around this time of year, a lot of people celebrate the birth of a baby. An important baby. Not everyone knows the baby whom they're celebrating. I would say that many of those who celebrate Christmas don't really understand what it's all about. But even Christians can lose focus on what the real reason for the season is. We fail to marvel at the fact that God desires to live forever with the people who brought about the death of His only begotten Son because of our heinous sins. In some ways, you see, Bathsheba's kind of like a type of Mary. She, she points forward to Mary. In some ways, this baby who dies is sort of like a type of Christ, points forward to the one who truly will be the substitute in our place for our sins. And in some ways, Bathsheba's a bit like points to to God in the way that he desires to live with the very people who brought about the death of his only begotten son. Just as David's and Bathsheba's unnamed son was in a sense a substitute for David by dying in his place, Jesus is our true and full substitute. He died in our place. He is the one to whom this unnamed son pointed. And if there was any efficacy at all, it was only in the sense that this son pointed to the death of Christ. The baby of David and Bathsheba could not atone for David's sins by his death, but by being David's substitute, pointed forward to Jesus Christ, who would atone for David's sins. Brothers and sisters, our sins are fully deserving of infinite and eternal wrath, but Jesus, in dying for us, atoned for our sins, and he placated his father's wrath against us. Jesus... The son of David and the son of God is the baby who was born to die. God so loved sinners like you and me, sinners past, present, and future, that in the fullness of time, he sent his son to be born of Mary, to dwell among us, but ultimately to die in our place. If you celebrate Christmas, and not everyone does, and that's fine, it would be well for you not to limit your thoughts only to the birth of Jesus. The purpose for his birth, as revealed to Joseph before Jesus was born in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, was to save his people from their sins. And the only way that Jesus could do that was to die in the place of his people because of their sins, to die as our substitute. Jesus, if you believe in him, was born for you. 
He lived for you. He died for you. He was resurrected for you. He ascended to the right hand of His Father for you. So that you might live with Him forever. Repent of your sins. And believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will live forever with the Lord. And that, brothers and sisters, is good news. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for your son. We thank you for his birth, for his life, for his death. And we thank you that he was raised again from the dead. We pray that each and every Lord's Day we would remember to celebrate not only his advent, but that we would also celebrate his resurrection. And that we would look forward to his second advent. We pray, dear Lord, that you would teach us to look for him and to long for him. And to trust that because you fulfill every promise that you have made to your people, you most certainly will fulfill your promise that Christ Jesus will return. We pray that you would teach us to be a grateful people. And we pray, O Lord, that you would teach us to be gratefully obedient. We pray that we would hate our sins, knowing that we, by sinning, added to the crushing weight of the sins placed upon Jesus. Knowing that our sins caused his suffering and death under the full weight of your wrath. Oh Lord, we pray that you would help us not to take our sins lightly. We also pray, dear Lord, that every time we take a glimpse at our own sins, that we would take a full look at our Savior, Christ Jesus, and remind ourselves of what He has done and is doing for us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.